0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. If you'll open open your Bibles to Isaiah 66, uh, I will be reading verses 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may find rest? I'm sorry. And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble. And contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. But he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. He who burns incense is like one who blesses an idol as they have chosen their own way and their souls delight in their abominations. If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power and influence of your spirit, the words I preach here today are pleasing to you and conform to your word. May your truth be screwed into the hearts and minds of men. Amen. Isaiah was a prophet in Judah in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel had rebelled against uh, King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and it eventually seceded and formed its own country, even building its own temple originally with a golden calf. Israel afterwards was steeped in idolatry, continued to suffer violent revolutions, and a majority of its kings being assassinated or otherwise killed. Isaiah began his ministry in Judah during a tumultuous time of conflict. Assyria was threatening her smaller neighbors. There was conflict with Israel in the north. There were a series of kings during his ministry which would face these issues, several of which worked to bring about reform. One of the things that uh, had happened was the surrounding nations had, uh, in interacting with Israel, or in interacting with Judah, had lent some of their culture and some of their gods to the people, and so they had wandered away. King Uzziah, one of the reformers, strove to cut down idols and reform spiritual life in Judah. Judah. He did a lot that was uh, viewed as being right in the eyes of God. However, he failed to cut down the high places. And because of that, God chastened him with lifelong leprosy. King Jotham, his son, also continued this work to reform society. He even went so far as to repair parts of the temple which were in disrepair. Jotham's son, Ahaz became king, and he was wicked and gross in the eyes of the Lord. In 2 Kings 16 <clears throat> and in 2 Chronicles 28, uh, record the wickedness of this king. Uh, just some of the things that he did, I'm going to go over, just so we can get a picture of what's going on here in the time of Isaiah. Pause. So I say Isaiah only because I took Greek and and. Alpha Yoda is a diphthong, and now every time I see it, I just can't get over it, so I sound like I'm English. It's all right. <clears throat> so anyways, so here we have King Ahaz. He offers his son on a hot bronze altar to the god Molech. One of the wicked things. He built up altars throughout the land of various bales, sacrificing both children and animals. He closed the doors of the temple, and he plundered the temple, took the gold, and used it to barter peace with Assyria, the king of Damascus, or the the king Aram. And he adopted Aram's gods. It was a time of great idolatry and wickedness in Judah, very similar to our own time. The situation we find Isaiah in <clears throat> around this time can be seen in Isaiah 65, verses 2 through 4. And it's part of part of what God is doing here is, is he's indicting Israel for its wickedness, both the kingdom in the north and the kingdom in the south. So here in verse 2, I've spread out my hand all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the ways which are not who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. A people who continually provoke, provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens, burning incense on bricks, i.e. idolatry, who sit among the graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat in their pots. That's, that's a long laundry list of idolatry and wickedness. So now we enter into Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. God here continues his indictment against the Jews, the Jewish apostates, as we have seen from Isaiah 65 and from the summary of the situation in Kings and Chronicles. Here he establishes his, the character of his being. It is a reality check, which is meant to bring the creature-creator distinction to the forefront of Judah. God is king, God is God, Judah is not. You can see elements of what is taught here in Isaiah for the first two verses in Westminster Shorter Catechism number four. Since our children are or will be going through the Shorter Catechism, I figured I would share it with us all. Question four asks, what is God? God is the spirit. Oh, go ahead. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. For those who didn't hear, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, justice, goodness, holiness, and truth. So, to get a picture of what's, what's going on in the first section of Isaiah, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is he's infinite. God is infinite. King Solomon in First Kings eight twenty seven declares, But will God indeed dwell on earth? I.e., can, can God really dwell in a temple? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house which i have built so the immensity of god is being addressed here what exactly can you do for me god has his throne and he has his footstool these are things that his hand has made god made the heavens his throne and the earth his footstool god is king and we are under his foot because he is our sovereign ruler God is a spirit, and he resides in heaven. And this is where his throne is. What does God need from us? One of the things to remember is that when God picked Israel, what did he make a point of pointing out? You were a nobody. You were small. Insignificant. So he's reminding them of his greatness, almost throwing it in their face that that they were small and a nobody. So who are we? What can we offer such a great and powerful God, you and I, brothers and sisters? Jehovah God doesn't need us. Judah had forgotten who they were, where they came from. And what tribute they owed to the Almighty. And this made them arrogant. This is what they forgot. in Deuteronomy 10. Behold, the Lord your God, to the Lord your God, belong the heaven, the highest heavens, and the earth, and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affections to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. Even you above all peoples, as it is to this day. So circumcise your hearts and stiffen your heck necks no longer. They forgot Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize who you truly are before God? Do you recognize God's infinite greatness? And your impotent finiteness? God can t- Isaiah continues in verse two. But this is the one I God will look to. Him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. So Isaiah pauses in his indictment of the hypocrites of Judah to address the characteristics of the one. Jehovah God is looking for. They are three interconnected characteristics one who is humble, one who is contrite in spirit, and one who trembles and quakes at the Word of God. These characteristics are similar to the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, where Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5 Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice the connection here to being poor, to being contrite in spirit. It's a similar word for poor. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. It's related to being humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Trembling before the word. So this is not new. It is not isolated to the Old Testament. It applies to us today, even on this side of the cross. So what, it, what is it to be humble? To be humble can mean several things. But what's being got at here is related to the characteristics of God, which we are to emulate. Humility is recognizing ourselves for who we are which God definitely does. He's God. Arrogance is completely absent from him. But he, since he's the standard, has the ability to be proud. He can be proud of who he is. It's also why he can be jealous, and we can't. He's God. He has, he's the standard. So how does mere man imitate God in humility? We aren't to embellish in our view of ourself. Think about Abraham when he intercedes for Sodom to save Lot. What does he say in Genesis 18, 27? Now behold, I ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but ash and dust. Upon seeing Christ in his heavenly glory, what does Isaiah cry out in chapter 6, verse 5? Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize who you truly are? Do you embellish who you are to others, to yourself, to God? What is it to be contrite in spirit? To be contrite in spirit is to feel the crushing weight of the law on one's soul. It's the realization that you do not stack up when compared with the standard, Christ Christ. Ponder on this for a moment. Isaiah comes face to face with the creator, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 6, which we just read, woe is me for I am ruined. He's looking at the glory and majesty of God. Seated on the throne. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. A dramatic help to help us to uh, wrap our mind around this. This image that Isaiah saw. And how we should consider ourselves to Christ. I'm I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like a lot of things with science. And a great illustration that I thought of for this is uh, sunspots. Have you guys heard of what sunspots are? <clears throat> sunspots are huge electromagnetic storms on the surface of the sun. They're the reason why we have solar flares. They, they belch out stellar material into space. Uh, these spots, if you, they look black on the sun. But if you took one of them and you pr- replaced the moon with one of them, they would be so blinding that they would irradiate all life on earth. But whenever you compare it to the brilliance of the sun, they are literally as if they are black spots. That is us to Christ. Interestingly enough, uh, these spots are so Able to be seen on the sun. Galileo was able to see them on telescopes in the 1600s. Which is why he went blind. It is the humble man who, when looking upon Christ, recognizes his own bankruptcy and cries out to God. This is what David wrote in Psalm 38, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is also why Christ preached in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is when we recognize our estate as we truly are that we realize we have no hope in ourselves. God comes to us in our brokenness, not the popular notion of brokenness. But as we are undone by our own sinfulness... Compared with Christ, we are lower than worms. Brothers and sisters, do you ponder on what a miserable condition you are in yourself? What does it mean to tremble at his word? Well, first, do you see how being humble can lead to a contrite heart? In being humble, you recognize who you truly are. And you take that image and you compare it to Christ and you realize what a precarious situation you're in. Humility leads to a right viewing of things, generally all things, and measuring all things by the right standard. And that leads to a true assessment of our low estate. So what what exactly does it mean to tremble at his word? Everyone trembles when God speaks. When God was speaking from Mount Sinai... he spoke with a voice and the people of Israel freaked out and went to Moses saying, no literally imitating the voice of or the words of Isaiah we are undone you speak for God they couldn't handle hearing just his booming voice Judas trembled at the curse that Christ told him. You're the one who will betray me. There is no hope for you. Wicked men of all sorts may fear God's judgments, but they don't tremble at their own violations of his word. They never change their ways, and they hate God. Two test cases of trembling. Think about Pharaoh. Every time one of the curses was challenged to Pharaoh by Moses, Pharaoh trembled, but then he hardened his heart. Contrast that with the trembling that the Roman jailer did in Acts. What did he do? What must I do to be saved? Evil men may tremble before God and his word, but when they do, they flee further and further from God. The godly, however, are different. They see God's word, and they tremble and mourn at the weight of their sin and the guilt that they have before it. They see their sin, and they mourn and tremble, and in that they repent. Thomas Brooks writes, The heart of wicked men and devils only tremble upon the account of some punishment and the judgment to come, as malefactors tremble before judges and under the sense of his doom, but a child of God trembles under the same scent or under, under the sense of God's goodness and kindness to him. Brothers and sisters, do you tremble at God's word? Do you fear committing the least violation of his command? Do you mourn over your sin? Think about these three characteristics that God looks for and compare them with what's going on in verse 3. But he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine blood. He who burns incense is like is like one who blesses an idol as they have chosen their own way and their souls delight in their abominations. So God here continues his indictment against the the hypocrites and apostates of Judah. Because Judah was not acting in faith, it's compared to gross idolatry and gross defilement. So even when they would offer offerings, God rejected them. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. So killing an ox is like one who murders a man. Remember King Ahaz and his throwing of his covenant son upon the altar of Molech. The people of Judah delighted in following their own ways. In contradistinction, to those whom God looks to, namely his elect in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can only do these things if God has grace on us. We can only tremble at his word if we are united to Christ through faith. Without faith in the triune God, it is impossible to have the qualities that Isaiah declares of those whom God looks. For the writer of Hebrews says, "And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who seek him. We can seek to be humble by looking to Christ, our standard of righteousness. And in doing so, we need to remember our condition as it really is. This translates to being honest with God in prayer and confession. Honest with our neighbor and ourself. Confess your true self to God. Lay yourself bare before him. Be honest in how you present yourself to the world. For example, don't exaggerate when you seek employment. I know what it's like when you're really trying to get a job and you're trying to make yourself look really good on your resume. Now, well, that's embellishment. These things are connected with the ninth commandment. Humility is looking at things in a right way. And considering yourself, <clears throat> honestly remember your spiritual bankruptcy. You are Hosea's naked, whoring wife on an auction block. Keep in the forefront of your mind Abraham's words. I am ash and dust. Continually look to Christ. Trust in him as a child trusts his father, even in great fearful circumstances. When considering trembling at his word, remember and apply this to all your life. Christ tells us in John 14:15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now note, it doesn't say keep my commandments and then, then you, you love me. It's the other way around. First, you love God and you want to do his commandments. If we truly love Christ, then we will, with fear and trembling, seek to continually conform our lives to his image. He's our God and King, our Savior. We bear his name, Christian. This is a lifelong process, which is where the reformers recognized with the motto, reformed, we're reformed Christians here, but we're always reforming. So life is going to be one of continual repentance and applying God's word to our lives. Listen, brothers and sisters, we must today remember this. Read his word often and drink deeply from this well. As Moses wrote to the Israelites before they crossed the River Jordan, he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray as we depart here today that you would remind us of who we are before you and who we are in Christ. Instill your spirit in us that we can be humble and fearfully and faithfully tremble before your word. Pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen.